James 4, 14. It says, We do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. How much time do you spend worrying about tomorrow, honestly? How much time do you spend um, pretending that you're just planning but really trying to control your future? I worry about that. In fact, um, the, the, the scripture that we're in today is, is, is talking, Jesus is specifically talking about worry and anxiousness. And I believe that, that all of us, in some form or another, have something we are worried about, something we are anxious about, something that we're wrestling with, something that, that we can't seem to shake. And, and my assumption is, is that in that, it can be all-consuming sometimes. It can be um, what all of our energy goes to. It can, it can cause health problems. There's, there's a number of things that come into this, but, but unfortunately for all of us, we all deal with worry and anxiousness. And we've just spent the, the last, you know, um, bit in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has talked about what does righteousness look like. It looks like the fact that we have to, we have to be, our righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees and the religious leaders, meaning that it's, the bar is so high we are incapable of living at that standard. And he, he walked us through what, what we can have in blessing if we live in a, in a, in a form and a way that he's designed us to live. And then he, he changes that and talks about all the things that we'd heard one way, but he, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And you've heard wrong. And then he goes into three things, and we just finished those three things where he talked about three very biblical things that most people that try to do in religion, and they, you know, they try to be giving, and they try to be, they try to fast right, and they try to pray, pray in the right way. And he basically said that, that even those things, those very good things can be done with the wrong motivation, with the wrong heart. And then Jesus turned this corner, and last week we talked about it, and he basically hit this idea of this, this he, set, he set a choice before us. And he said, look, you can only serve one master. And the choice before you was you have, you, have, you have the kingdom of God or your own self. God's will or your will. You can't serve both. And he talked about in that in relationship to wealth. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 6, um, chapter, or chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we will dig in. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 34. Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will wear, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will, you not, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What will shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles or, or pagans seek after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Again, the, the, Jesus has, has just divided motives in our life. The context, again, he's like living between a life that's lived for ourself or a life that's lived for his kingdom. Jesus starts and ends this teaching with the same phrase. It's this, do not, do not worry. Do, do not. And it's, it's the, the way that they use it is called an inclusio, or it's, it's a Hebrew way to saying, to basically, basically making the point, the biggest point, where he starts a, a section of Scripture and then ends a section of Scripture the same way, meaning that is the main point. That is what he's doing. See, the, the beginning of this was, therefore, do not worry. So he's saying, therefore, in light of what you just saw in 19 through 24, therefore, if, if God is your master, don't worry. And then the second time is referencing this text. The two un, are unavoidably linked in, on the ideal level and the application level, meaning that, that the point is simply this. In the first one, he's using this idea is, do not worry in an ongoing matter. Don't don't. Don't waste your time on that. Don't worry about that over and over and over again. And then the second one, at the end of this text, he's literally saying, don't worry even for a moment. See, he gives us a few reasons why not to worry in this text. And the first is that he commands it of us. This do not worry is is actually a command. Which again seems weird because it's like, why would he, why would he, why would he command us? But he's, he's essentially saying the choice is before you again. Do you serve God's kingdom or yours? Are you about his will and his purposes or your own comfort? Your own desires? Do you believe in toiling to build God's kingdom or your own? See, Jesus, when he says therefore, he's, he's going back to that. What he's essentially saying is, if God is your master, then why would you worry? The, the, he puts the point. The first reason why he's telling us not to worry is because we have a master who is God, the same God that created us. So if God is your master, if you're surrendered to that, then don't worry. If we're servant to God, then our desire is to do his will, obey his ways. Therefore, it's silly to worry. And then verses 25 through 30 essentially talk about how unnecessary worry is because he's saying he hits the most basic needs, food and clothing and water. And he's saying, look, I understand that those are things you need, but you have a father who is in heaven who knows what you need more than you know what you need. So, so why worry? And so the second reason why he's commanding us not to worry is, is, it, is that, yes, he's our master, but that also he loves us immensely. He has knit you together in your mother's womb. He is your father. I had a friend tell me this week that God has no grandchildren. He only has children. You're not removed from him. In the work, and the person in the work of Christ, you are his child. So some of us worry because we don't actually rest in the fact that we have a father that knows us better than we know ourselves, knows what we need, and knows when we need it. It's so interesting when I was in the Philippines and, and listening to those guys ask over and over again, hey, pray for provision and health. And I'm like, come on, give me a real prayer request. And really, they were praying for provision for that day. Why? Because they believed that their father was good and their father knew what they needed and he could meet those needs. They didn't have any other resources or options at that time. So it's unnecessary to worry because God is not only our master, because he's our father. And I love my kids, 
But at times I feel like I don't, to be honest. And, and, and it's weird for me to, to equate God as a father when I have my own messed up junk as a father. But he's a perfect father. He's a father that doesn't mess up at all. He's a father that expresses love in the best ways possible at all points in our life. So maybe the reason why you're so worried today is because you've forgotten that you have a father, a father that won't forsake you, a father that not only knows what you want, but knows your very, very basic needs. So don't worry about them. And then verses 31 through 33 talk about how it's, it's, it's fairly pointless for us to worry because of the faith we have. See, the faith isn't something that I have, like, I have so much faith, I'm amazing. No, in fact, the memory verse for the kids in the preschool is Ephesians 2. Faith is a gift so that no one can boast. It's not done on our own. It was a gift by the work of Christ and what he has done in our life. So therefore, I have that faith. Not, oh, man, I'm, I'm just so little faith, I don't have. No, my faith is as strong as the person I have faith in, and that is Jesus Christ. So it is unnecessary for us to for us to fear and be anxious and worry because of the faith that he has planted in us. So it really is silly that Jesus is saying, don't worry because you have a God who's a master. Don't worry because you have a father. Don't worry because the faith that is in you is sealed by Jesus Christ. And then I think for comical relief, Jesus adds verse 34. He says, you know what? Don't be anxious about tomorrow because you're in, there's plenty to worry about today. And I don't think the context is, hey, you need to worry today because there's a day tomorrow going to be worrying. But I think that what he's trying to tell us here is, is simply this, that nowhere, nowhere in Scripture does it point out that when I surrender my life to Christ, it's going to be easy. In fact, in fact, what Jesus is setting before us is if you are a part of the kingdom of God, you don't fit in in this world. This world is in opposition to that kingdom. And as that kingdom is breaking in today, someday being exactly like it is in heaven, like he just told us to pray, then life is going to be hard. And then he poses this question in the middle of this, like, you know, how can you add a single hour to your life? It's just kind of comical to me because we just got one stolen from us last night, right? Like, it's, oh, man. We have no control of that. We have no control of that. And he's saying, look, worrying is, is, is pointless. Not only because you have a master and a father and because you have a faith that's still before Christ, but because tomorrow will have its own issues. And he's saying, he's saying, stop. He's going to give us the grace needed for this day. He doesn't give us tomorrow's grace today. He gives us tomorrow's grace tomorrow. So what Jesus seems to be saying is that your actions are the indicator of what you really believe about God. To that point, Jesus alerts his audience to two contrasting groups. There's the warriors and the children of God. Independent or, depend or dependent. Pagans or children. The group seems pretty clear. Jesus isn't trying to be disguising in his word. It's very obvious. He's, like I said, he's, he's laid before us a choice. Like, look, you're either here or you're here. There's no line in the middle. There's no, there's no extra thing that we can try and weave ourselves to to make it a third option. He's saying you're either about this, about God's kingdom, or about yourself. So what's the key distinguishing factor that separates the two? 
What is, it makes, what is it that makes one person a warrior and one person a child of God? See, it'd be really easy for me to preach this sermon and say, you know what? Jesus says don't worry, so don't worry. Now go home. You know, muscle up enough strength. Have the strength to resisting, um, uh, resist allowing very valid concerns to consume your thoughts. You know, your walls are closing in around you, but just, just ignore that. Just, you know, just, just don't worry. Adjust your view. Do this better. Modify your behavior to be less worrisome. And that would be really easy to preach because Jesus has told us why not to worry. And all four of those reasons are very, very good reasons not to worry. But then when the walls surround us and the pain sets in, we start to lose our view. So I was talking with a really good friend of mine. He's a church planner in Portland. His name's Russell Klum about this text. And he, uh, he said something so well that I just wrote it down and I'm going to quote him so that you don't think I'm stealing it from him. Um, so this is a, Bren, this is a dangerous sermon that propels people with an initial push to perform better but ultimately leaves them in ruin of not only their worry, but also their failed attempt to resist worry. Is this the kind of state that Jesus wishes to leave his audience with? Is this where he's directing his church with this topic? Without reservation, no. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is wise enough to offer a very practical, albeit difficult, solution. He says the antidote to anxiety over this world's problems is focused prioritized pursuit of the presence of God's kingdom on earth through God's righteous ways. Worry or anxiety is the unavoidable result when we fail to seek above all else the kingdom and righteousness, ways, ethics, and teachings of Jesus. Pursuit of the kingdom and righteousness, ways, ethics, teachings of Jesus are the only holistic source of peace, contentment, and hope. So this comes back to Matthew's overwhelming point throughout this text that being a follower of Jesus is a transition from your own way, your own desire, your own kingdom into God's kingdom. It's a relinquishing of, of my stuff. Jesus says essentially what he's been saying and will continue to say. The gospel's good news because it releases us from the confines of a broken, worry-filled world and transfers us to an altogether different set of circumstances. See, Jesus' Jesus's kingdom takes us out of that. It's good news that we don't have to relentlessly pursue things of this world only to end up end the day more worried than we were at the beginning. It's good news that the kingdom of God is breaking into our reality now, even before Jesus restores it to entirety. It's good news that we have access to seek his kingdom, his righteousness, his ways and teachings and ethics today. So then if we can't muscle through this natural, if we can't muscle through this, the natural question would be, what does this mean for us to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? First, I want to define seek. Seek is something that we hear all the time, but seek is, the word itself means to find out by thinking, meditating, reasoning, to inquire into, to aim at, to strive after, to crave, to demand. This means that you, you earnestly demand to know. You, you meditate. You want to know every aspect of it. And he says to do this first. So there's, there's four things of what I think it means to, to seek his kingdom first. The first one is that it means for you to pursue it like you really want to find it. Jesus is talking about a change of the will. I have a desire to see and know that kingdom. 
right? It's buried treasure. Everything else doesn't matter. Once I see it, I want nothing but it. Second, it means to prioritize our pursuit as both the first in time and the first in importance. See, it can't just be the first thing we do. It must be the most important thing we do. The kingdom and righteousness becomes the primary all-encompassing focus of our lives. Everything else funnels through that. It's okay to want to to know if you're going to be married or to know what it's going to be like to finish with your degree or to do well in your job or to, to pursue a great marriage. It's okay to do all of that, but all of that is secondary to his kingdom. His kingdom is first, and it falls into that. God is allowing us to live in and a part of those things as a part of his kingdom first. So when I think about what I'm going to do about my life tomorrow, I don't have to worry because I'm focused and prioritized on his kingdom first. God, what does it mean for me to follow you as a student? What does it mean to follow you when I want to be married? What does it mean to follow you when there's so much pain and hurt in my life? It's a prioritizing of his kingdom first. The third thing is that the kingdom can only be understood in light of the king. It seems silly, but we, we don't have kings today. Most of us think of kings and we have a bunch of weird history things to pull from, weird movies. But the whole of scripture is unveiling the reality of the kingdom, but its central revelation comes in the character and the work of Jesus Christ alone. Everything in here points to him being our king. You won't seek the kingdom if he's not your king. What you're seeking isn't his kingdom if he's not the king. The gospel is the best expression of the kingdom, and God has revealed that through the story of the king, Jesus Christ. Right? That, that, is, that is the representation. That is what the whole of Scripture is doing The king rules over a kingdom, a people, a community. His character, his teaching, his ethics, his actions, all of it is what makes him the king. They're the prime example and the target for anyone that belongs to the kingdom. Fourth thing is the righteousness of God is impossible to divorce from the kingdom or king. The kingdom isn't a nice idea. It's a reality based in the character, teachings, ethics, and actions of the person, Jesus. So to seek first the kingdom and righteousness of God means to become and to continue to become a disciple surrendered to the teachings and ethics and actions of Jesus. So if you find yourself worrying, find out if Jesus is your master, (laughs) if, if God is your father, if you recognize he's instilled his faith through Christ, but really what it comes down to is, is are you willing to lay your life before him, surrender your life before his teachings, before what he asks you to do as your king? We don't need to look any farther than the narrative to Jesus to discover what he said and did. Most of it's very clear and unclouded. I understand the parables are difficult, but Jesus is very clear what it means to follow him, what it means to live for him. The real difficulty comes in the act of surrender. Perhaps maybe the the more we come to know and rest in God's ongoing provision, we don't even have a case to worry over a single moment like tomorrow. See, I think probably the biggest issue for us isn't isn't that we don't like the idea of Jesus, isn't that we don't even like him to be our savior. 
I think it comes to that we want to control our life. We want to invite him to come alongside. We want to invite him to play a part. We want to, we want to put on a, a little bit of a show and help. But Jesus is saying, surrender. Surrender to me. We want to justify. Well, that doesn't seem nice, or, or I don't know if that's fitting, and, and we are always the exception to the rule of the scriptures that Jesus is teaching. Well, good. Let me make it clear. If you're always the exception to the teachings of Jesus, then he is not your king. If you're always the, like, well, I know it says, but, I know it says, but I don't, you know, if, if someone in a loving way comes to you and says, look, the, the scripture says you should probably live in, inside of these guidelines. Well, you know, I, I know that's true, but I really love her, so it's okay, and we'll be married someday. Well, no, I, I, I know that's true, but you know what, it's okay, it's just, a, just, a, just alcohol, and I mean, I know it, I, whatever, you know, I was just a little drunk, or just a little tipsy. See, the problem is, is that when we start surrendering to our own stuff, guess what comes? Worry and anxiousness. When we surrender to Christ as king, that is taken from us. And we have peace and contentment. In fact, Philippians tells us, Philippians 4, says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You should yell that second one. That's how that's being written. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. The Lord is present. He's here. He's present. Do not be anxious about anything. There it is again. And it'd be so easy for me to tell you, you know what, just don't be anxious about anything. Don't do it. You know what the Apostle Paul does? I think it's beautiful. He shows us again, well, hey, you're, like he shows, proves to us that anxiousness will want to come. So therefore, don't be anxious. Instead, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the part that I need you to hear, please. And the peace of your God, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Let that sink in for a second. You can't comprehend the peace that he brings. Will be made known will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellence, whatever is the kingdom of God, focus on those things. Pursue those things. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Rest on these things. Do you see? It's, it's, it's a shift of my focus. This doesn't mean that life isn't going to be hard. This doesn't mean that you're going to have, excuse me. This doesn't mean there won't be reasons to be anxious. That's not what God's saying. He's saying that if you are anxious, maybe we need to reorient ourselves to the kingdom. Maybe we need to reorient ourselves to his will. And less about us. Less about what we want and our comfort sounds too simple to say don't worry and in contrast just trust God yet this is precisely what Jesus is saying he's saying you don't have to worry because you have a master you're a bond slave you're a servant to the most high God you don't have to worry because that same person that you're a slave to is your daddy is your father he knit you together in your mother's womb and he knows you better than you will ever know yourself 
You don't have to worry because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He has instilled a faith in you that is not founded on how strong you are, but founded in who Christ is. You don't have to worry because, let's be honest, life is going to happen and it's going to be hard. So it's kind of a pointless thing to try and remove all worry, all hard situations, because tomorrow is going to be hard. You don't have to worry because if you're a part of God's kingdom, your priority is his kingdom and his will and his teachings and his ethics and his actions. That's our priority. See, God isn't just saying, Jesus isn't just saying, okay, get rid of worry and now muscle that strength. He's saying, no, replace your worry with the very thing I created you to do, my kingdom work, my kingdom will, me, the only one that can bring a peace in the situations, no matter how hard, no matter how tall those walls are, no matter how dark it feels, the only one that can break light into that is the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your trust must be there too. And that trust must continue to grow and deepen to the extent that we attribute God as a source of the most primal of our needs. It's an easy concept to verbalize and even internalize. It's a whole other thing to live as if God is provider for even the most basic needs. See, Jesus is just contrasted and said, your choices are there. He's just contrasted in in wealth. In wealth, don't you dare serve that. And now he says in poverty, in the most basic needs ever, don't you dare worry about that. You are a child of God, not a worrier. The band's going to come up and we're going to sing bit more. Before they do, I guess I want to pose this couple questions to you again. Do you believe in toiling to build God's kingdom or your own? Is your life full of worry? Then let's stop. Let's assess some things. Is God your master? Is he who you serve? Is he who your life's about? Is his kingdom work what's, what's most important to you? Do you recognize that your identity isn't in your mistakes, your past, but that your, your God is your Father? Do you realize that the faith you have isn't even a faith that you mustered up, but it's a gift from God through Jesus Christ? Are you focused on His kingdom or your own? Look, the reality is this. Worry is going to come. Anxiousness is going to come. That's why Paul says, present that to God. And I can tell you this, if you are founded or have some foundation in the fact that God is your master and your father, coming before the throne in prayer is something that is very, very normal for you. If you can't come to God in that, if you can't seem to shake your worry, if you can't seem to run from it, then you've, you've, you've taken your focus off of him. You've made your life about yourself and your needs and your comfort and you've taken scriptures out of context like all oh, he wants, he wants me to be happy and he wants, he wants, you know, he wants me to have every desire of my heart. Well, yeah, he also says align your desires to his will and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right? It's, it's about his will and his purpose. So when anxiousness comes in, what do you do? We pray. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your will. I recognize that there's hurt, there's pain. And in that pain and and hurt, the enemy loves to to make us try and believe that you are not real, that you are not our father, that you are not master. 
In the name of the Jesus, I bind the enemy's hands in our lives. God, would you please break into the hearts of every single person in this room? There's someone here that's pretending that you're enough just to show up on Sundays but really not surrender to you. God, would you just break their heart? Break their heart in a way that recognizes that they don't have some easy life, but there's a peace that makes no sense. And our only peace and hope in this world comes through Jesus Christ. God, for those of us that that continue to, to wrestle through anxiousness, Lord, would you please, please reorient us back to your kingdom, to your our Father, to your Master, that you have given us a faith that is unshakable, that is sealed in heaven and guarded by you and your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Father, for those of us that, that continue to wallow in control, I think of the, the thing that my mentor always said, when you grab a nice, like, really thin, like, awesome white, white sand, full, fistful of white sand, the harder you squeeze to hold on to it, the harder you squeeze to control, the more it goes between your fingers. And the only way to truly, truly actually hold on to those things is to let go, to leave our hands open. And so I pray that maybe those in the room that are holding on or trying to control or muster up enough strength to beat whatever they're dealing with, would you just help them let go? Would you help them rely on your strength and your kingdom and your work? May that be our priority in our lives, God. May we not waste a single jelly bean worry. May we allow every single day of our lives to bring incredible glory to your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.